everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Wow, can you believe what's happening? I'm not going to elaborate. I think we're all well aware that things are shifting and changing and moving in the United States and around the world. I'm fresh from a local women's march, which I found to be very inspiring. And it has me thinking about transformation and renewal. Transformation and renewal are central themes in our myths and old stories. In fact, the need for periodic renewal, renewal of ourselves, of our societies, and of the world, is the idea behind New Year's. That is the meaning of New Year's in all cultures. And this Saturday happens to be Chinese New Year. The Chinese calculate their New Year's time, their time of renewal and flipping the page according to a lunar calendar. But peoples everywhere have realized that things wear out. They grow old, they become outdated, they break down. And just as the earth takes everything into herself in order to create what is going to be fresh and new, what's going to sustain us all in the coming year, so too we do this in our homes and communities. We make New Year's resolutions, all those types of things. Now, when we think of the word renewal, that has kind of a minor manageable connotation, don't you think? Renewal, renewal, make a New Year's resolution to go to the gym, go twice and then forget it. But renewal involves transformation. And when we get into the realm of transformation, we're talking about something mysterious, beautiful, and difficult. We're talking about the activity of the caterpillar to the butterfly, a process that involves dissolution and disintegration, a process that looks like, from the perspective of the old, loss, total loss. At the end of last year, I told the Norse myth of Loki and the death of Balder, and in that story, we saw that through the actions of the trickster, an ambivalent and in that story, malicious force that exists to make systems dynamic, exists to bring change. We saw that through the actions of this force, the trickster, the bright god, Balder, who seemed to be the best and the brightest, the highest expression of that community of gods, is killed. And the world ends. It appears to end. And yet, that story, that myth, actually ends with the dawn of a new day and the green shoots of new life. It stops. The story is about transformation. It's not about what comes next. 
that's left to our imagination. So today I want to tell you a story about transformation that fell into my hands recently through a series of synchronicities. It's a Norwegian fairy tale called The Lindworm, and I feel that it's a very potent story for our times. The Lindworm is a small two-legged dragon, by the way. And I may make a few comments at the end of the story, but I essentially want to leave it to you to find whatever parallels you find between this present moment and your place in it and the story. I invite you to relax and listen and attend to the details and the images that capture your imagination. They're important information for you about where you are in the story. And right now, it's important not only that we open our minds, but that we open our imagination too. That we look for food to catalyze our imaginings and our dreams. Imagination is where vision begins, after all. Prince Lindworm Once upon a time, there was a very fine king who was married to a beautiful queen. And they were very happy together, and they had everything that they needed, except for one thing. They didn't have any children. And this made both of them sad. They both wanted children. The queen wanted a child to play with, and the king wanted an heir to the kingdom. One day, the queen went out for a walk by herself, and she met an ugly old woman. This old woman was a witch. And she said to the queen, Why do you look so sad? What's troubling you? Well, there's really no point in me talking to you about it, said the queen. Nobody in the world can help me. Oh, you never know, said the old witch. Just tell me what your trouble is and maybe I can help. Well, the queen was doubtful, but she said to the witch, the king and I don't have any children, and this is why I'm distressed. Hmm, said the witch. I think I can fix that if you will do exactly what I tell you to do. Tonight, at sunset, take a little drinking cup with two handles and put it upside down in the ground in the northwest corner of your garden. The next morning, tomorrow morning, at sunrise, when you go out, you're going to find two roses underneath, a red one and a white one. If you eat the red rose, then you will have a little boy. If you eat the white rose, you will have a little girl. So take your choice, boy or girl, but whatever you do, don't eat both of the roses. Oh, thank you, thank you, said the queen. And she felt just a little ray of hope. And she took off one of her gold rings to give to the witch to pay her, but the witch said, no, no, I, I don't need that. Well, the queen went home, and 
you know, she figured she didn't have anything to lose, so she did what the witch suggested. And the next morning at sunrise, she snuck quietly out into the garden and lifted up the little drinking cup, and lo and behold, there were two roses, just as the witch had said there would be. A red one and a white one. Well, now she had a little bit of a dilemma. Because which would she choose? If I choose the red one, the queen thought, then I will have a little boy, and that would be incredible. But he might grow up and go to war and be killed, and then I won't have a child. But if I choose the white one, and I have a little girl, well, eventually she'll grow up and get married, and then she'll go away with her husband and leave us. So, whichever way it works, I'm probably going to be left with no child at all. But at last, she decided on the white rose, and she ate it. And that rose tasted so sweet that she picked up the red one and ate it too, without even remembering the old witch's warning. The queen, in due time, was pregnant. And sometime after that, the king had to go away to the wars, and while he was away, the queen's time came, and she became the mother of twins. One was a lovely, healthy baby boy, and the other was a lindworm. The queen was very frightened when she saw the lindworm, but he quickly wriggled away out of the room, and it didn't seem like anybody saw him except for the queen. No one said a word, and so the queen started thinking, well, maybe it was a, was a dream. And that baby prince was so beautiful, and he made her so happy. And then the king, when he came home, was really thrilled to find his son and heir. And so the queen thought about the lindworm every now and again and managed to convince herself that maybe it was all a dream. The days and the years went by, and the baby grew up into a handsome prince, and it was time that he should get married. His father, the king, sent him off to visit neighboring kingdoms in search of a wife, and he got together a fancy coach that was drawn by six white horses, and the prince got dressed up and went off in search of his bride. But at the very first crossroads, the way was blocked by an enormous lindworm, a huge, ugly thing, and he laid there in the middle of the road with his gaping mouth wide open and cried out, A bride for me before a bride for you. And the prince did not know what to make of this, and he turned around, and they took the coach off down another road. And as soon as they got to an intersection, there was that damn lindworm again with his great, toothy mouth, crying, a bride for me before a bride for you. And so the prince turned around again, and, well, they tried 
every road that led out of the kingdom and at every intersection, they were met by the lindworm. The prince had to just turn around and go back home to the castle. And he went back and and told his parents about this. And the queen was compelled then to confess that what the lindworm said was true. He was the eldest of her twins, and so he ought to have a wedding first. It seemed like there was nothing to be done. They were simply going to have to find a bride for the lindworm if the younger brother, the other prince, was going to get married. So the king thought about it, and he decided to write to a distant country and asked for a princess to marry his son. And of course, he did not give a lot of details about this son, and pretty soon the princess arrived, and she was not allowed to see her groom until he stood by her side in the great hall and was married to her. And then it was too late for her to back out of anything. The couple was escorted to the bridal chamber. And the next morning, when the servants arrived, the lindworm lay sleeping all alone, and it was quite plain that he had eaten the princess. Well, a little while after, the prince decided that now that his elder brother, the lindworm, had been married, that he might commence his journeying in search of a princess of his own. And again he drove off in the fine carriage with the six white horses. But at that first crossroad, there was the damn lindworm, laying in the middle of the road with his great huge mouth open, crying, A bride for me before a bride before you. And once again the prince had to turn around, and he tried another road, and at that intersection there was the lindworm, crying just as he had before. And in the end, the prince had to go back home and tell his parents, we still have a problem with the lindworm. The king was a little bit concerned about how he was going to find another princess, and so he decided to write to several foreign countries very far away, in very distant lands. And at last... Another princess did arrive, and of course she wasn't allowed to see her future husband until the wedding took place. And then, to her great dismay, it was the lindworm. The couple was escorted to the bridal chamber, and the next morning, when the servants arrived, again the princess had disappeared. The lindworm lay sleeping all alone, And it was quite plain that he had eaten her. By and by, the prince took up his quest for the third time. And at the first crossroads, there lay that lindworm again, with his great, wide, horrible mouth, demanding a bride just as he had done before. And the prince just went straight back to the castle and told the king, you've got to find another bride for my elder brother. 
Well, I don't know where I'm going to find her, said the king. I mean, I've already made enemies of two great kings who sent their daughters here as brides, and I have no idea how I'm going to obtain a third lady. And even though we're trying to keep this very hush-hush, people are beginning to say some strange things, and so I can't imagine that another princess is going to agree to come here. So the king went out and got on his horse and went out for a little ride to ponder this dilemma. And down in a little cottage near the woods, he came across his shepherd. Now, the king's shepherd was a loyal servant, an old man who lived alone with his only daughter. When the king saw him, he said, Will you give your daughter to me? Will you give your daughter to me to marry my son, the the lindworm? If you do, I will make you rich for the rest of your life. Oh, no, sire, said the shepherd. I can't do that. Why, she's my only child, and I want her to take care of me when I'm old. The king insisted. And the old shepherd said, No, she's my only daughter. And besides, if the lindworm wouldn't spare those two princesses, he's not going to spare my daughter either. He's just going to gobble her up. And she is much too good for such a fate. But the king was the king. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. And so, at last, the old shepherd had to give in. When the shepherd told his daughter that she was to be Prince Linworm's bride, she was in utter despair. She went out into the woods, crying and wringing her hands and bewailing her hard fate. What was she going to do? How was she going to get out of this? And while she wandered back and forth, an old witch woman, suddenly appeared out of a big hollow oak tree. Why, what's the trouble, young lady? she asked. And the shepherd girl said, Oh, well, it's it's really no use my telling you. I won't burden you with my troubles. There's no one in the world who can help me. Oh, you never know, said the old witch. Just tell me what your trouble is and and maybe I can put things right. Oh, I don't know how you're going to do that, said the girl. I am to be married to the king's eldest son, who is a lindworm. He's already married two beautiful princesses and eaten them, and he's going to eat me too. This is why I am distressed. Well, it's going to be okay said the witch woman. All of this can be okay if you do exactly as I tell you. So the girl said, okay, I will. Listen up close, said the woman. After the marriage ceremony is over and when it's time for you to retire, you must ask to be dressed in ten snow-white shifts. You must ask for a tub of lye, 
a tub full of fresh milk, and as many whips as a boy can carry in his arms, and have all of these brought into your bedchamber. Then when the lindworm tells you to undress and shed a shift, you ask him to shed a skin. And when all of his skins are off, you must dip the whips in the lye and whip him. Then bathe him in the fresh milk, and finally you must take him and hold him in your arms, even if it's only for one moment. Oh my God, I was with you until that last part, said the shepherd's daughter. And she shuddered at the thought of holding this cold, slimy, gruesome lindworm. If you do just as I've said, all will go well, said the old witch. And then she disappeared into the oak tree. Very soon after, servants came to get the girl. And they put her into the royal carriage with the six white horses and took her off to the castle to be decked out for her wedding day. And she asked them to bring her ten white shifts, a tub of lye, a tub of milk, and as many whips as a boy could carry in his arms. Well, the ladies and the courtiers and the the servants all thought that this was just some ridiculous bit of peasant superstition. And they wanted to just say no. But the king heard about it, and he said, no, no, let her have whatever she asks for. And then the girl was dressed in the most wonderful robes. She really looked beautiful, and she was led into the hall for the wedding ceremony. Like the others, she saw the linworm for the first time when he came in and stood by her side. And they were married, and there was a great wedding feast, a banquet fit for the son of a king. And when that was all over, the bridegroom and his bride were conducted to their bridal chamber. As soon as the door was shut, the linworm turned to the girl and said, Fair maiden, shed a shift. And the shepherd's daughter said, Well, Prince Lindworm, shed a skin. Well, no one has ever dared tell me to do that before, he said. Well, I command you to do it now, she said. And then he began to moan and wriggle, and in a few minutes, a long skin lay on the floor beside him. And the girl drew off her first shift and spread it on top of the skin. The lindworm said to her again, Fair maiden, shed a shift. And the shepherd daughter answered him, Prince Lindworm, shed a skin. No one has ever dared tell me to do that before, he said. But I command you to do it now, said she. With groans and moans, he cast off a second skin, and she covered it with her second shift. Now the third time, the lindworm said, Fair maiden, shed a shift. And again she told him to shed a skin. No one has ever dared to tell me that before, he said, and his eyes started rolling furiously, and uh, he looked pretty scary, but the girl wasn't afraid, and once more she commanded him to do as she had said. And this went on until there were nine lindworm skins laying on the floor, 
each one of them covered with a snow-white shift. And now there was nothing left of this lindworm. He was just this huge, horrible, thick mass. And the girl grabbed the whips, dipped them in the lye, and whipped him as hard as she could. She beat him to a pulp. And then she bathed him with the fresh milk. And finally, she dragged him up onto the bed and put her arms around him and fell fast asleep. Very early the next morning, the king and the courtiers came around and they were curious and afraid to see what might be behind the door. They wanted to know what had become of the girl, but they were afraid to enter the room. So, But finally they opened the door just a tiny bit and there they saw the girl looking fresh and beautiful and beside her lay not a lindworm, but the handsomest prince that anyone could wish to see. The king ran out and fetched the queen, and after that there was such rejoicing in the castle as was never known before or since. And the wedding took place all over again, much finer than the first, with festivals and banquets and partying that went on for days and weeks. No bride was ever so beloved by king and queen as this shepherd's maid. There was no end to their love and kindness towards her, because by her good sense and calmness and courage, she had saved their son, the prince Lindworm. In this story, we've got the queen, the maid, and the witch. The queen, the maid, and the witch. The mother, the virgin, the crone, the matron, the youth, the elder. Fertility, strength, wisdom, the notion of family, idealism and courage, and life experience. You know, the witch, the witch is the one who shows us the hidden truth. And you notice that this old witch is very close to our shared mother, the earth. These three females are the heart of the story. We can recognize them as phases in an individual woman's life. We can recognize them as cultural ideas, cultural ideas that are universal because they are aspects of the archetypal feminine. And as aspects of the archetypal feminine, they do live in the psyche of women and men everywhere. I know there are lots of men out there who understand that. I saw some of them marching with us last Saturday. Men who understand that the wounds of patriarchy aren't suffered merely by women, that they're suffered by everyone who understands that we need a revival, a renewal of the values that we've traditionally considered feminine and that are largely lived by actual women in the world today. Thank you, brothers, for being out there on the streets with us. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And if you're finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. 
For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the Myth in the Mojave programs archived there, as well as free downloads of everything new that I create. You will also play an essential role in making future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive.